Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hello and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is podcast 487. Good to have you back, Maximizers. We've got a guest today. Buckle up, hold on. We got Davina Stanley with us today. Let me give her her bio, then we'll welcome her aboard. So for 25 years, Davina has advised thousands of executives from some of the world's largest companies, including Meta, KPMG, and Mercer. She has helped clients from nearly all industries for clients in Australia, Asia Pacific, the U.S. and the U.K. to communicate complex ideas extremely clearly and quickly, ideally within 30 seconds. Imagine that, 30 seconds instead of talking for 30 minutes, 30 seconds. She is the founder of Clarity, first program which helps C-suite executives and their teams to better engage senior leaders and boards in complex ideas. Welcome. Thank you, Kurt. Lovely to talk to you today. It's good to have you here. We're going to learn some great things today, but we do have to start off, as our listeners know, what do you think? What is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? Well, I think the plant, the vegetable that's got the worst reputation is the <laughs> potato. And oh, that's really? important. I grew up on a potato farm, so I disagree with that <laughs> reputation. I think they're <laughs> fabulous. But I think I'll, I'll put that one out there because I like nearly all vegetables. I couldn't think of a terrible one. So why does the potato have a bad rap? Well, I think partly because of the famine in Ireland all those years ago, but more seriously because people think it's got too many carbs and too mm. much sugar, so perhaps it's not so great for you. But it's just one of those foods like eggs, you know. People say it's terrible for you when they find some little thing out and then they learn a bit more and they say, oh, no, actually it's it's really good for you. you know? Got it. All right. Well, that's the first time. Potatoes for the books. So interesting. All right. Well, let's dive into it. Let's learn about how to make our messages more succinct, how to really be more persuasive. That's what it's all about. But how did you get into this? Why did you feel so passionate about going out to the world with this message? Well, I think it's been an incremental journey. I started out as a kindergarten teacher, actually. So I really like helping people. It's not a usual beginning, I don't think, for doing what I do, but it's been very, very helpful. And so I didn't teach for very long at all, not children, but then moved in a, within a couple of years to join McKinsey, the management consulting firm, where I learned a discipline called structured thinking. And when I combined that with what I'd learned about writing at Teachers College, which was I t- learned from a, a wonderful children's author, an Australian children's author, And I could see the differences between the two methods and how helpful they were to put them together, but particularly how in a business context, the sorts of lovely novelesque, if you like, strategies just weren't enough to help clarify really complex stories. You know, when the first project I was given at McKinsey after I'd done all the the training or the basic training anyway, I um, was given a 50-page finance deck to rework and it was, you know, given my background, I'd come out of the country from a farm, 
I had done teaching. I'd worked in corporate for a bit in corporate communication, but certainly didn't have any idea how you structure a stock exchange. That was just nothing, something I knew nothing about at all. So it was in my interests to work it out. And I was just used the method that I was given. It was called the pyramid principle. And I was able to untangle it. I thought this is incredibly powerful. And then I had the opportunity, of course, to use it a lot over quite a long time, working directly with the firm and then consulting back to them and and now with other clients. So I think it's something that's just evolved over time. I've always really liked helping people, but this um, methodology is just incredibly powerful and comes out of consulting. I've tailored it for a corporate environment to include a lot more influence sorts of elements, if you like. You know, I think I've got the best job in the world. It's really interesting. <laughs> no, it's definitely fascinating. And you know, you get this 50-page deck you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why do we have this tendency? I mean, your goal is to simplify these complex ideas. Mm-hmm. Why do we have this tendency to come up with this 100-slide PowerPoint mm-hmm. and the 60-minute presentation when we could have said it in two minutes or 30 seconds, like you mm-hmm. say? Mm-hmm. We know we well, like think- to be succinct, but it's like this default setting for executives to take 60 minutes and 100 slides and two hours to say something they could have said in two minutes. Why is that our default setting? Well, I think it's because it's hard, right? And I think sometimes things do need to be long because complex things do need to be long. So I think the metric to think about is actually how long does it take for somebody to read it or understand it rather than purely the length. So I agree that they take absolutely too long, too often. But I think it's because they put a lot of the data in and they use the document as a tool to work out what their messaging is. They think that writing or pulling their charts together by doing either of those things, they feel like they're doing something and they're making progress and they're getting their ideas out of their head, which they are. But they get lost in the detail. They get lost in track changes. They get lost in the weeds. And It's just very, very hard to work bottom up to get to a story. I think there comes a point when you're analysing something or trying to work out what something is, what a message needs to be, where the the answer clicks in your head and it's almost a physical feeling. You think, ah, got it. And the temptation is to just stick it at the end because you've done all this work and you've written all these lovely words and built all these lovely charts that you've become quite wedded to because they've been genuinely challenging and maybe they look really good because you've put a lot of effort into them. It's really hard to let go of them and to say, actually, now I know what that answer is. Can I look critically at the material I've put together and ask, will that persuade? That is the answer that I've now got to because I've worked through all of that. But is that actually the story? And they're not the same thing. And I think that's one of the challenges, particularly that consultants face is they're given a problem to solve and they solve it and they get the answer at the end and they might structure their messaging very well to say, here's the answer. But then what do you do with it? How do Mm -hmm. you navigate it through the hierarchy in the organization to get an outcome? How do you get the decision you need? How do you get there really quickly? So I think it's because people meld problem solving and storytelling together as one unit rather than separating them out. Got it. So how do we do this? We've got this complex idea. We've got this message we want to communicate. How do we simplify it? How do we go from our default setting of vomiting on people for 60 minutes (laughs) when it could take five? 
Yeah. How do we simplify that? And and do you, I don't know if you have any standards. Should it be 30 minutes, 20 minutes? You mentioned 30 seconds. No, I don't. I, I really don't because I think every situation is different. And I think it should be as short as possible, but as long as necessary. So, no, I, th- I think judgment comes in. Uh, I like that. Short as that. possible. Good answer. As short as necessary. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, as long as necessary, as short as possible. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So how do we do this? How do we take all this stuff in our brain and that PowerPoint that's just crazy and simplify mm. it? Well, I think, first of all, don't make the PowerPoint. Just don't. And don't write the document unless you're very, very mindful that you're actually communicating with yourself. So treat it as a brainstorm if you're going to think with your fingers on the keyboard. Um, So do that consciously to write to yourself. So you get to that point where you think, ah, that's, that's the thing, that's the message. But I think even better than that is to stop and start to think, okay, what is the objective for this communication? What I really need to achieve in my situation? And then think, okay, well, who are the decision makers that are going to really make a difference and get help me get this over the line and work out where you are in that journey? Because you might think I'm ready to go to the board, but you might not be. You might need to do some other background work first. So work out where you are and who you need to engage with. Work out what outcome you need from that engagement and then think about structuring your message. And we've got a really structured way of doing that. We're very focused on getting a message on a single page, which is a common sort of idea in a way, but we do it in a very structured way. So you've got a very short introduction that describes what you're talking about and why. And that's where I think a lot of communication derails. People put boatloads of information in the background, and I think it should be super, super short and lead the audience to ask a question. So set them up to think, oh, I want to know more about that, and then bring out the, the big message, the main message. And that should be really short, really tight, really powerful, so that if that's the only thing the audience heard, they've got the general idea of what needs to be said. And after that, when you're continuing the presentation or the the message on the page, you need to map out your top line messaging. So if you're putting a pitch forward and you're saying, here's what I think we should do, you know, to achieve this goal, you might say, well, why? Why is that? You might need a short list of reasons to explain that and then unpack them and we use what looks like a tree really to map them out to make sure that the ideas sit in the right spot they're fully formed sentences they sit at the right level in the hierarchy and so by imposing a very great sense of discipline around that structure you get rid of a whole lot of stuff because it just doesn't belong If you've got some ways to evaluate whether ideas belong together in a list or in an argument, you know, we have another structure we use, which we call a deductive structure, where you're building a case and it's really great for big recommendations and so on. You're just making sure that those ideas are really locked together really tightly and that they sit in the right spot and that that one page is not what some of my engineers described as A1 and four-point font. That was their solution because then they could just put as much as they wanted on the page. It's like, no, this is all about constraints. (laughs) So, you know, letter or A4 page, no less than 10-point font, really short introduction, one main message, two to five supporting points and one layer underneath that, and that's it. No more on the page. Get your substantive ideas on that. 
Once you work that out, then prepare your document. Everyone, I hope you caught a lot of those great points there. <laughs> Very important, <laughs> instead of having 17 points, two to five at the most. I agree 100% with that. And start with the end in mind, obviously, where what's your goal here? What's your call to action? And then everything should lead to that. It should not surprise people when you ask them to do something based on your presentation. And I love what you said. Don't make the PowerPoint, people. <laughs> it's not <laughs> persuasive. Text on a slide is not a visual aid. Get that through your brains. I know you love it. It's like your warm blanket as a presenter. But let me ask you that. So people are panicking now because this is their warm blanket. They won't forget anything. It's all written there. Their backs to the audience. The audience is dimmed, as we know, is not persuasive. Yeah. What do you recommend to give people that comfort or that direction? Is it the practice? Is there a way to not use PowerPoint? What do you suggest in that situation as the people mm. listening are panicking? No, I hope they're not panicking. <laughs> Look, it, it comes down to thinking in the end, doesn't it? Because if you can get your message on a page, you've really thought it through. So what that does is prepare you to present as well. And whether that presentation is just a conversation with no visual aids at all, or whether you've structured a PowerPoint to match that message map. I think the very fact that you thought it through is enormously helpful. And I think that one pager that we prepare is a great thing to have in your hand if you are still unsure of yourself or want some reminder. Or I think sometimes too, one of the reasons people become uncomfortable is that their audience asks them all these questions and they feel like their audience takes control. And they um, go all over the place with their questions and end up feeling quite reactive. They, they lose control. And I think part of that is because the message is not structured well. And so the audience has an opportunity to go down a rabbit hole. But also I think that it's really terrific to have a conversation rather than just stand there and talk. So if you have something on in front of you which gives you the high-level structure of what's on the slides, it's a really great visual aid that you know intimately because you created it and you can just have it there with you. It's no harm to sort of look at it from time to time and think, now that we've finished talking about whatever the issue is, let me just bring us back and keep going with, with the plan. You know, we're up to the second point out of five. So you're right, there's a bit of a need to practice, but also just to have some little stock phrases in your mind and strategies to regroup and recap on where you've been and get going again back on the journey. So let's say someone has created this, this simplified presentation, three points. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Anybody can present, but is it persuasive? That's the key. Mm. How do you make a presentation more persuasive, more engaging, more interesting? Mm -hmm. What are your recommendations there? Make it relevant. Make it useful. And part of that preliminary work that I was talking about and thinking about what's your objective and who are the key stakeholders, helps point you in a direction towards something very specific and something very relevant to the audience. I think decision-making groups, senior groups, always interested in adding value and doing so as quickly as possible. And so if you can be useful and fast, you become persuasive. I've seen some people who are genuinely nervous, who perhaps don't have English as their first language, but are very confident in their material. And these are often very technical people. So they're not people who would necessarily by choice stand out in front of others and be naturally charismatic. 
get very, very good results. I think if you can mix the influence skills you talk about with a really useful, insightful message, then you've hit the holy grail. But I think having a really useful message is is critical. I hope everyone got that. Something relevant, something useful, it adds value. Is it going to make money, save money? What's your return on investment? What's your return on time? What's your return on energy? You know, what's in it for them, the company, the department, all those things we've been talking about, so important. What do you think, as you see these presentations, what is the biggest presentation blunder? If you were to, one thing you see over and over again that people can fix, adjust, fine tune, what would that be? Not having a single message at the top of the slide. By that, I mean, firstly, having something in bigger font near the top, not near the bottom, not just absent, but also making sure it's not just a category or a topic. So I see a lot of slides where you have just a couple of words at the top. Maybe it says update or sales rather than saying something like sales have grown by 2% this quarter. Something as simple as that to have a message at the top and make sure that the information on the slide is minimal, it's not cluttered, but also that it actually backs up that point. So we have these presentations, but you do a lot with writing too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know with sales copy that is very similar to a presentation, like it's, you know, you're talking to one person now with what you're working on with these type of things is, do you feel the same way about a paper or there's some differences between writing a paper and doing a presentation? I don't think so much about the differences. I focus more on the similarities. And to me, that's all about the structure of the thinking and the quality of the thinking. So I know at Amazon, for example, they decided, Jeff Bezos decided quite famously to ban PowerPoint and to focus on prose. And I think there are some real advantages to prose because it's harder to make logic leaps and, and leave gaps in your thinking. But ultimately, I think it comes down to the thinking and having a very clear structure, a very clear goal, a very clear message. So I think PowerPoint's actually harder to construct because to stick to that structure of messaging, although using the method we use, it can be a bit mechanical, it's very easy to get lost in the messaging if it's not done well. It is also in prose. I'm not so focused on the difference between the two. I'm much more focused on the quality of the messaging. And I think that that transposes across both writing and PowerPoint. There's mm. great information because like you say, people's default setting in this and both writing and presenting is way off course. <laughs> we do oh, yeah. know that. So Devina, what is that one thing I missed? What do we want our listeners to know about what we talked about today? I think one of the things in these corporate communication activities that gets overlooked is the value of really effective collaboration around these papers and presentations. And what tends to happen is that leaders end up doing too much of them, rewriting them, reworking them, I mean, regardless of the form, because the messaging hasn't been nailed down and actually the purpose and the engagement strategy hasn't been nailed down firmly enough at the beginning. So that idea of mapping your ideas to a single page, I think it's not just about getting the message clear. It is about that, absolutely. But 
these communications are not prepared in a vacuum. They're prepared mostly collaboratively. And if you can find a hack that means that you can do that without doing what I call the chain of pain, where somebody will write something and send it off to someone else for review and they'll all use track changes and however many people will dip in and out of this document making really minute comments very often on the content and often not synthesizing and pulling the thing together, rather making it more muddy. If you can get away from doing that, but focus the messaging on the one pager first, I think you can get a lot of time back. And people often dislike these writing these papers and presentations because they think it takes them away from doing the actual work, which if it's managed poorly, I think it does. I think it can become quite a useful and even pleasurable activity because you've got a process for it. I think it's the collaboration that often makes it really just feel like a chore when it doesn't need to. Oh, God, that's not a chore. This is fun. It can be interesting. Mm. You can do this both in the preparation and in the delivery. This could be a fun thing, not a just, oh, no, another presentation. So, well, well said. So, great information. Hope everybody took some great notes. Devin, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do? Oh, that'd be great. So I've got a mix of online programs and books and a new book coming out very, very soon. In fact, two. If you go to clarityfirstprogram.com, you can find out about all of it. Thanks, Devin, for your words of wisdom, some great content there. And really understand this is exciting. This is fun and preparing and being more engaging and more charismatic. This is a game changer for you. I'm telling you, your upper mobility and your presentation skills, there's a direct correlation. Make sure you tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. And then they can find it under Maximize Your Influence at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Other questions, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Get all the information you need. Also, home of your free Persuasion IQ assessment. So, master these skills. Learn how to give those persuasive, engaging, charismatic presentations. Become more influential and go out and persuade with power. 